outside preacher. And I told him this morning, 8.15, we say that to everybody that comes, but we mean it, <laughs> but we mean it when we say it to him, or you come preach to us. At- <laughs> okay. Thank you. I'm going to believe it anyway. I know I've told you before, and it's so true, I don't feel at home as comfortable as I do here at Harvest Baptist Church. Sometimes, folks, you don't realize what you have. You ever heard the saying, you don't know what you have until you lose it? We don't have it anymore. Don't take for granted what God has done for you. And don't take for granted what God has done for our nation. Uh, it's always a joy to me, for me to be among you. And I don't know, you folks don't seem to get old. <laughs> you all look the same and as young as, as, as I remember. Now, the young people are getting taller. That I'll, that I'll admit. You know, but other than that, I'll, I'll tell you, you got the same wrinkles you had before. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Well, thank you. I guess everything's a matter of perspective, isn't it? I heard about the fellow fell asleep taking a nap on the couch, and uh, his wife just kind of looking at him lovingly, you know. And she was afraid he might roll over and break his glasses, so she takes his glasses off and puts them on the table, and that kind of stirred him, and he kind of woke up, and she said, you know, honey, without your glasses, you look as young and as handsome as the day I married you. And he said, honey, without my glasses, you look pretty good, too. <laughs> so I guess, I, I guess it's all a matter of perspective, <laughs> isn't it? Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Psalm number 33, if you will. Familiar passage of Scripture, I'm sure, today. Uh, uh, choir, you did such a wonderful job in our special music. Oh, what a blessing to my heart and a blessing to my soul uh, today. And, and for me to, uh, to be here... Uh, among you, uh, did I say Psalm 33? Yeah, that's what I, I turned to Psalm 83, and I wasn't sure what I told you. So I do know my numbers above 10, but okay. Holiday weekend, Fourth of July, very special time. I think back 243 years ago. 243 years ago, you'd be hard-pressed to find a nation that had existed and been established that long with its current government. The song that was sung was just more than a song, God Bless America. And I think back in those hot August and July days, in a small room in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where delegates from the 13 colonies have gathered together to debate the question of whether these 13 colony states ought to be free and independent of the crown of England. There were those that were passionate for the side of the crown, remaining loyal to England. Then there were those that believed that we need our own government to be governed by the people for and for the people, of the people, free and independent. The debate was raging. The windows, although it was hot, were closed. The doors were closed, lest any would hear the deliberations that were going on. It got very impassioned. 
tempers flew, voices rose on both sides of the argument until finally Benjamin Franklin stood up and quieted the gentleman and made this statement. He says, gentlemen, 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 if a sparrow cannot fall to the earth without the knowledge of the Almighty, can a nation rise without its help? I beg you, we stop the debate, fall on our knees, and pray for God's sovereign will to be done among us. And so they did. Patrick Henry then stood, gave his passion plea for freedom of these 13 colonial states. And he started out with those familiar words, gentlemen may cry peace, peace, but there is no peace. And we see that today, don't we? Isn't it strange though, some that cry peace the most are the most divisive and the most hated. He went through his speech and he come to the end. Whose words ring out through the halls of history. When he summed up his reasons for independence and said, I know not what course other men may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And so the boat was taken. The Declaration of Independence was framed. 73 or 74, I'm not exactly sure on the number of men signed it. John Hancock was the first to sign it. Everybody was reluctant to put their name on that document for they, meant, they knew what it meant. When they said we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, they meant it. And they were not mere words. Everything was on the line. Everybody hesitated to go to the table to sign it. John Hancock rose, took the pen in his hand, and in very large letters wrote his name, John Hancock. And after he said, I have written in large letters so his majesty without his glasses could see my name and double my bounty. For he knew it was certain death. There was one delegate, I think his name was Harris, I'm not sure, a very stout man. And he was next to a very thin man. <laughs> and he leaned over to his colleague and he says, you know, when we sign that, it is our death warrant. We will be killed. He said, as for me, don't hang me. It'll be over in a second. You being so thin and frail, you'll be dancing on air for 20 minutes. <laughs> and even in the midst of that debate, there was some levity and some humor, but yet very, very serious. My wife and I were driving back on a, for, over the 4th of July ho holiday on some interstate. I forgot which one it was now. And I got to thinking of our freedoms and of our liberties. And I began to think that those 73 men who signed that document never got to live under the freedom that they gave us. They had prepared the way for you and for me. Freedom is not free. 
Somebody paid the price for you. When Patrick Henry gave those words, give me liberty or give me death, it seems like the next generation came along and says, give me liberty, but I don't want to die for it. Give me liberty, but I don't want to work for it. Just give me liberty. The current generation says, give me. Give me, give me, give me. When you, and I would challenge you to do this, look at the lives of those men. Look at the names on the Declaration of Independence. Look them up in the history books. These are men and women just like you. Homes, families just like you and just like me. Children that they loved. And see what happened to them. Most of them died in poverty. The crown came and took all their possessions and all their wealth. Some had to run away and the British came and took the wives and children, sold them into slavery and abused them. One such fellow came back to his homestead, found it leveled to the ground, burned, and his family nowhere to be found. We pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Would be today we'd have a generation of Americans like that, with that type of conviction of liberty and of freedom. Psalm 33, verse number 12, rings out for us today, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When we sang a few moments ago, God bless America, it's more than a song to me. It's more than a holiday tune to be sung on patriotic days, to me it's a prayer. A prayer that our nation, which was founded on the word of God, would once more return to that foundation and build again upon it. It is a cry of a heart of a true American to have God's blessing. I'll remind you, it wasn't government that gave you freedom. You realize that? Government doesn't give you. That is stated in the Declaration of Independence, that every man is endowed by their creator, by their creator, with certain inalienable rights, which among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Freedom comes from God. If government gives you freedom, government can take it away. Liberty comes from the Lord. Doesn't come from government. And they recognized that every man had certain rights given by God, life, liberty. And please understand this, the pursuit of happiness. No guarantee you're going to find it, but you got a right to pursue it. But today we're living, I've got a right to be happy. Who says you have a right to be happy? What gives you the right to be happy? Did not Jesus say in this world you shall have tribulation? If you don't believe much of the Bible, you got to believe that verse. <laughs> In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God bless America. Some years ago, too, I heard, I don't know, I think, I don't remember the name of the individual nor the group that performed it, but it was a southern gospel group that kind of had a takeoff of God bless America. And the title of the song was God Bless America Again. God bless America again. 
And the thought of that song was, God, you blessed America once, but we kind of took it for granted. You blessed America once, but we kind of forgot you and pushed you out. And the song goes on and says, God bless America again. And we need a fresh blessing of God upon our nation today. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Turn to Psalm 14, excuse me, Proverbs 14. And again, a familiar passage of scripture that ought to be written upon every congressman, every senator, every judicial judge and president of the United States. Psalm 14, verse number 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Righteousness, not giveaways, but righteousness exalteth the nation. But the verse goes on. But seeing is a reproach to any people. And it's good to know, amid a nation that has many problems and many divisions within it, that there's a God who still cares. There's a God still sitting on the throne of his of heaven. And the history of America is one that's wrapped up in God. And people who tried to tell you and tell me that God had no place in our founding fathers' lives. God had no place in our founding of our nation. Just need to visit Washington, D.C. and see the monuments that are there in tribute to the power and presence of God. Indeed, visit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania where the Liberty Bell sits. We were there several years ago. I wanted to see the Liberty Bell. At that time, you could still touch it. Now they have it sealed off because some jerk with a hammer goes up and hitting the thing. <laughs> so they sealed it off. But you were able to go up and touch the Liberty Bell. I touched that hand, touched the Liberty Bell. <laughs> I saw the crack. I know, growing up with David Crockett, it said he patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell, but that's not true. <laughs> I saw the crack in the Liberty Bell. But if you look at it and look at what's inscribed upon that, there's a Bible verse on it about proclaiming liberty throughout the land. Go to the Washington Monument, that tallest building, and no building will ever be, by law, can ever be built taller than the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., and you'll find Bible verses. Go to the Lincoln Memorial, sitting in that big old, we were there, one little boy was sitting in in that big old statue, I mean, really, and he's looking and says, wow, he was a big guy. (laughs) And you'll see tribute to God. Go to the Jefferson Memorial, and on the other side, you'll see tribute to God. You cannot look at any of our national monuments and not help but to see our founding fathers' belief in the almighty God and creator. This nation has been built upon God. Now, people will say to you and say to me, oh, well, you know, there's got to be a separation of church and state. I challenge you, any one of you, Read the Constitution of the United States, the supreme law of the land. Read the Declaration of Independence that paved the way. You will not find the words separation of church and state within it. They do not exist. Indeed, the amendment does say that Congress shall make no law establishing nor prohibiting the free exercise of religion. In other words, Congress can't stop you from worshiping God 
the way your conscience tells you to. Roger Williams started the First Baptist Church in America in Providence, Rhode Island. You know, there's a lot of history in our area, folks. You know what the sad part about it? So many of never even get to see it. You never go to Boston, walk the Freedom Trail. See the USS Constitution uh, there. And, 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 and to see the history of Boston and the history of America. Nor to Plymouth and see that Plymouth Rock that's there in the history of our nation. And we live right here. And people from all over America come to see it. And it's in our backyard and we don't go see it. What a shame. You ought to take a day or two this summer. And just spend some time and go up and see these historical marks. And see where our roots came from. But to say God had no place in America is so silly and just a plain lie. When people were being persecuted in England because England said, you have to belong to this church. It's against the law to have any other religion. You must belong to the Church of England or the Anglican Church. You must belong to that. A group of people said, no, we need to worship God according to our own conscience. And they gathered on a little ship called the Mayflower. Anybody ever said they had the Mayflower too? Anybody see that? See a few of it. Go see it. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I walked on that ship, and you could walk on it. <laughs> I walked on that ship, and there were no cabins for these people to, to stay in. Uh, uh, the, the, you know, it's not like a cruise that you will go on today. You know, everybody has their suites and everything like that. It was one big room, and everybody stayed in that one. And that's how they made their journey, the 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean together, through the wind, the storm, the hot, and, and, and the waves of the sea, huddled together because they wanted to breathe free air and worship God the way their conscience dictated to them. And finally, somebody said, land ho! And it was Boston Harbor. Or Plymouth, I'm sorry, Plymouth Harbor. And that ship docked, and they took that step off onto Plymouth Rock. I remember the first time I saw Plymouth Rock. I was so disappointed. I was expecting big rock, the ship come up and they stump on this little thing. <laughs> they have it encased because people were going down, chipping pieces off of it. They moved it back from the ocean because the water was eroding it. But you can still see the engraving, 16, 1620, long before 1776, when our nation was founded. They stepped off. And what's the first thing they did? They prayed. They fell on their knees. And they thanked God for the new land of freedom and of hope. America finds its foundation in Christian principles. Greece built its civilization on culture. And it fell apart. Caesar built his civilization on power. And it fell apart. Alexander built his civilization on riches. And it fell apart. But God built, America built its foundation on God and remains until today. What is your foundation in your life? 
What is the thing that holds you? It ought to be the same thing that our forefathers had in vision for America. That is the word of God. The church is at the center of everything. Matter of fact, your, your first town hall meetings were held in churches. And for someone to say separation of churches, do you know where that really came from? Some years ago, there was talk that, and rumor that perhaps Congress was going to make a state religion like England had, the Church of England. They thought going to have a Church of America, and they didn't want that. And they wrote to the president saying, we've heard this rumor, and the president wrote back and says, no, there will be no church state. There will be a separation of church and state. It's not in the Constitution. Matter of fact, it's in the letter on file in the Baptist Church of Danbury, Connecticut. As the Baptists in that area wrote to the president and got that response. It's in a letter. It is not the law of the land. Matter of fact, the law says Congress can't make a religion and they can't stop a religion. It's neutral. But America's is built upon the word of God. When the Continental Congress faced problems, they fell on their face before the Lord. That should happen today. I never thought I'd see the day, folks. I did, but I never thought I'd see the day when I see Congress in prayer. But it happened the day after 9-11. Where were you? Remember where you were in 9-11? You kind of remember that when you got the word. I was preaching a revival in Elkton, Maryland at the Maranatha Baptist Church in the Shiloh Tabernacle. And Pastor and I had gone out for breakfast and we came back and somebody come running across the church parking lot. Pastor, Pastor, did you hear? Did you hear? He said, what's that? An airplane flew into the, one of the Twin Towers. I'm thinking little Piper Cub, Cessna, you know, one of those little, little planes. I had no idea. Later I found out that it was a, it was a 747. We listened to the radio, and then all of a sudden the announcer got very excited. A second plane hit the second tower, and they're both in flames. And then we heard how they collapsed. Congress came together. There was no Democrat. There was no Republican at that time. They were just Americans. And they came together for prayer on the steps of the capital of the United States. <laughs> I wonder if that would happen today. It should. And if it would, what a blessing it would, it would be. You see, Egypt flourished under godly Joseph. When Joseph passed from the scene, Egypt went down. When the righteous, the Bible says here, righteousness exalteth a nation. Now, where does a nation get its righteousness from? Not going to get it from the trees. Not going to get it from the lakes. Where does a nation get its righteousness? From righteous people, righteous citizens. That's you and that's me. America is what Americans are all about. Now, I'll make a statement. You could agree or disagree with me. But America needs God today. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Have you ever witnessed and seen that picture of George Washington, that 
Valley Forge. He's there. It's wintertime. You can see snow on the ground. And he's got his horse. His horse is standing there. And you see George Washington. And he's kneeling down. And he's praying. Our first president knew that God belonged in America. When you watch a president take their oath, they put their hand upon the Bible and they solemnly swear to defend the Constitution of the United States. Not change it, but defend it. It ends there. But George Washington, our first president, added words to it. And he said, so help me God. That is not in the oath. He added that, knowing that without God, he could not righteously preside over a nation. And he added those words, so help me God. And every president since, to this date, had followed suit. And at least it's vocal token that we need God's help and cannot do it alone. But America has lost its glow because America has lost its know of God. We push God out of our homes. We push God out of our schools. We push God out of our courts. And when you push God out, I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, the devil will move in. It will create a vacuum. You push God out of your life, the devil's going to move into it. Push God out of your home, push God out of your church, the devil will move into it. We have pursued pleasure more than godliness. You know, we spend more on entertainment than we do on food in America. Amazing, isn't it? We have let God out. Is it any wonder God does say in 2 Corinthians 7, 14, if my people, who are we going to blame? Going to blame the Democrats? Going to blame the Republicans? Going to blame the Supreme Court, the President? Who are you going to blame? God says, if my people. Who's his people? Did not Jesus teach us and the Bible proclaim to us, we are the salt of the earth. Does not the Bible say that you are the light of the world. But if the salt has lost its savior, where it should be salt, if the light goes out, it can no longer shine. I don't blame anyone for the demise of our nation except God's people ourselves. Now that's not very, doesn't do much for ego, does it? But that's what the Bible says. If my people, what? God says, look, give up your sin. Get the sin out of your lives. Get the sin out of your home. Get the sin out of your businesses. Get the sin out of your, your, your churches. And God says, I will heal your land. The problem's not on God's end. The problem's in our end. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, ooh, you got a problem over here. You got this particular disease. Here is a prescription. Go get this prescription filled and take the medicine and you'll get better. And you say, I don't believe in medicine. Ah, what do doctors know? And consequently, you go on in your disease until it kills you. God has given a prescription for America if my people. 
humble themselves. How much pride fills our life? You know, if you heard me preach a number of times, I certainly always, almost always, I don't remember a time I really haven't given an invitation at the end of a service for folks to come forward. Oh, preacher, why do you do that? You know, I don't need to come down the aisle. I don't need to do any. Is there too much pride in our life to say God spoke to me? Is there too much pride in our heart to humble ourselves before God and to kneel before him? Well, I don't have to go. I, 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 I. I. If my people shall humble themselves, it starts with humility, brings repentance, and then brings God's blessing. America needs God in our government. There's no doubt about that. I walked into the Supreme Court. I didn't walk into the chambers. They would allow us to do that. But I did walk into the Supreme Court, and I just stood there. And on the inside, they got two big doors. When they're in session, they close those big doors. Do you know that on one door is five commandments, and the other door is the other five commandments? So God doesn't belong in our government. There's the Ten Commandments right there in our government. Moses was on the first coin. And we need God in our businesses. Do you know there's one bar room in, for every 200 people in America on average? you believe that? But we need God in our business. Now, I'm not, this is not a plug, okay? I'm not being sponsored by them. I'm not saying this because I get a kickback. And it's just to illustrate a truth. My wife and I uh, travel a lot, and uh, many times we travel, and it's around lunchtime. We're looking for a place to eat. Our most favorite place for, for fast food and travel for a noon meal uh, is Chick-fil-A. Uh, I don't know how they do those waffle fries, but they are good. <laughs> man, I, I, man, forget the chicken sandwich. You give me double waffle fries. <laughs> you know? I just love those. Things. I don't know how they do them, but they very successful business. Good food, reasonable prices. You cannot beat the atmosphere nor the courtesy of the people that, that serve you. They live by Christian principles closed on Sunday. Do you remember when everything was closed on Sunday? You remember those days, man? You couldn't buy gas. You couldn't buy milk. You couldn't do nothing. The only thing that was open on Sunday was what? Church. <laughs> if you wanted to go out on Sunday, that's the only place to go. Go to church. You know, now Sunday is like any day of the week. Doesn't mean any different than any other day. We move God out. But Chick-fil-A has that principle. Treat customers right with dignity and respect like the Bible says to honor all men. To be honest in your dealings and fair in your business. When the, the big test came and I was wondering what were they going to do? Super Bowl last year. Chick-fil-A had the concession in the stadium for Super Bowl Sunday. Biggest Football day, I said the biggest day of the year, but not for me. But the biggest football day of the year, Super Bowl, I mean, that. I don't know how many tens of thousands of people that stadium would fill, and I don't know how many chicken sandwiches and waffle fries they would have sold that day. Closed. Closed. 
stand true to what they believe. As much as I enjoy Chick-fil-A, I cannot eat there today. <laughs> and neither can you. And we need to put God back in our businesses and everyday life that we live. And sometimes we just separate, oh, this is church, this is business now. No, you run your business the same way God wants you to run your Christian life and run your home, and you run your Christian business that way. I knew a family, uh, they were in a restaurant, an Italian restaurant. Um, he was very good in, uh, a chef, and, and she was excellent on all these fancy little desserts, you know, and everything that, that they make, you know, uh, and everything. And they had a restaurant. They made two decisions. One, no alcohol. Two, closed on Sunday. Those are the two biggest money makers for restaurants. Sell alcohol and Sunday crowd is usually very large. His brother also had a restaurant. You're not going to make it. You cannot have a restaurant and not sell liquor and be closed on Sunday make it. This was in New York City in Manhattan. Shortly after that, they opened up five more restaurants. <laughs> oh, God bless them. See, we need to put God in every part of our life. You can't separate your Christianity from your everyday living. Now, I don't know if you have your own business. I don't know what you do. You work for somebody else. But the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord. And uh, we just need God in every aspect. Also, America needs God in her homes. I heard the statistics the other day. The divorce rate is going down. Yeah, why? People are just living together and not getting married. But the heartbreak has not gone down. The depression has not gone down. The anxiety has not gone down. And the life's pressures have not gone down. Indeed has even gravitated to a new level. A friend of mine spoke with me about a prayer request. Open, he made it known to other people. His daughter-in-law had divorced her husband. Got tired of married life with him. Went off and married a lesbian woman. Three years after that, she committed suicide just a few weeks ago. What I'm trying to say is you can't kick God out without consequences in your life. You think you can? Oh, I'm different. I'm stronger and I can have. No, you can't, my friend. The devil's brought down greater men than you and stronger men than you. But thank God the power of Jesus is even greater. Where are our homes today? Who eats around the table anymore? Kids grab their plate, go back up into the room. They play video games all day, come down, grab the food, go up in the room and eat it there, or eat it in front of the TV set, or playing video games. There's no more family time together. There used to be a saying. I know some of you know it. I want you to help me with it. The family that prays together. You got it. Why are our families all broken up? There's no home anymore. No mommy, no daddy that love each other and love the Lord. And fellas, the greatest gift you can give to your children is to love their mother. 
And wives, the greatest gift you can give to your children is to love your husband and together have a home built on Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. And it's never too late to start that today. Two boys I saw in Walmart, 10, maybe 11 years old. <laughs> One boy said, what? Your father lives with you? Because, yeah, I mean, like, in the same house, he's there every night? He said, yeah. He goes, wow. I only see my father maybe once a month. The devil wants to destroy homes. This is the basic unit of society. Your TV shows portray the same thing. Break up the home. Show the father as a jerk. No authority. I don't know. Maybe I'm dating myself. But I can. I'm 73 years old, so I got a lot of dates to go by. <laughs> I remember the old TV shows that showed morality of people. Shows like Father Knows Best. Leave it to Beaver. Oh, he was an instigator. <laughs> but he always ended up doing right. <laughs> um, Andy Griffith show. Again, morals. If Opie told a lie, oh, he had to make, you know. Just... Now, what do we have on our sitcoms? Drugs, sex, rebellion, mocking and ridicule of mom and dad. Yeah, my old man, he got, who are you talking about? My, my old man, my father. You show him more respect than that, and your mother. And fathers and mothers, so live that your children can respect you. And they can look up to you. You see why I'm preaching this today? Because this is America. There used to be homes and families. My wife and I just celebrated a few weeks ago our 50th wedding anniversary. <laughs> That's for her after 50 years of me. <laughs> our boys said, Mom, do we want to do something for you? And they gave us a choice of things. They said, we're going to pay for the whole thing. That's four boys and our four daughter-in-laws. And they gave us a choice of going to uh, some South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for water, or go to the mountains of Tennessee. We chose Tennessee and went to the mountains, went to Gatlinburg uh, area up there. And beautiful, had a 14-room uh, house they rented. 14? Was it 14? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 10 bathrooms. <laughs> every, every room had its own bathroom, shower, etc., uh, TV, and fireplace. <laughs> then there was the big room downstairs. And, but we just had a wonderful time. And, and I stopped and think, that's family. 14 of us were there, and grandchildren, our children and grandchildren gathered together. Today, what honor do children give parents? If they do to you, you are fortunate, and God bless you. But you see, the family is being destroyed. There's no home. There's no family. There's no, there's no some, kids, some kids don't even know who their father is. One little girl said to me at camp, I was preaching at camp. She's eight years old. She, she was crying. And I says, oh, you're crying because camp is over? She says, yeah. You had a good time, didn't you? You don't want it to end. She goes, well, that too. I said, well, what else? She says, well, 
Brother Susan, I'm going to go home and I don't know who my mommy's new boyfriend's going to be. And I don't know if he's going to like me or beat me or hurt me. But I just don't want to go home. Is that what we have deteriorated to? We need to do our dead level best in this church and churches like this across America. Build homes and build families. Now, our children are all grown and we have grandchildren. And maybe you do too. When you see a young couple in church, it's not like you encourage them to live their home for God. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You encourage them because that is so vital to keep the home and the family together in this church. America needs God in her schools. 1964, I remember it. Madeline Murray O'Hara brought the case to the United States Supreme Court. It's wrong for the school, public schools to have a Bible in it. I went to Wilkett High School, graduated class of 1965. Every morning before that date, we'd have a Bible verse in homeroom, room 215, second floor. <laughs> Funny, we some things you remember. <laughs> Bible verse. My wife telling me in her high school, over the loudspeaker, they'd have the pledges and then they'd have prayer and a Bible verse and sometimes maybe a song that somebody would sing, a, a gospel song that someone was saying. America was better off then, had a little more love, a little more compassion, instead of the selfishness. You notice, you notice that everybody's mad? You notice that? Everybody's mad. Oh, I got this cause. And they're marching, and they're protesting, and everybody's mad about something. That's what happens when you leave God out of your life. There is no peace, and there is no contentment. And we need to bring God in our schools. Now, it's not going to happen to the local board of education. But I'll tell you, it's kind of, I don't know if you young boys here and other girls and young ladies that are here as well. Uh, if you go to government school, and they are government schools. They're not public schools because the public has nothing to do with it. <laughs> the government runs it. The government chooses the curriculum and the government chooses the criteria and the government chooses the teachers. So, I mean, it's all government. It's not really public except for your money. But you know... We might not be able to bring it into the schools, but through our young people, we could bring the word of God into our schools. We have two young people in our church. I admire them greatly. Oh, they're not perfect. I know they're still kids. And they're 15 and 15, I think, and 17. One's going away to college. But they were bold for God in school. They'd bring their Bible to school and get ridiculed for it, but they didn't care. They would pray during mealtime, and get laughed at. And other kids would take their food, or while their head was bowed and their eyes were closed, they'd take a lot of salt and put salt all over them just to aggravate. But they never retaliated and just went on as a testimony for God, bringing God back to the schools. I remember Crosby High School in Waterbury. One year called me up. The science teacher called me up and said, Brother Susan, we would like to have you come down and teach creationism to our science class. I said, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I got the, and she said, yeah, he just, but just, I mean, the reverend's going to come in, he's going to say, yeah, God did all this and everything, and just ignore all the science and everything else and evolution and just uh, give you this make-believe story of some big man in the sky, you know, doing all this stuff. I got to the class, she introduced me, I told a few jokes, laughed with the kids, got them to, you know, kind of warm up a little bit. I began teaching them about the anthropological record and the problem with that. Then I went into the geological record and I talked about the inconsistencies of science in that. And finally, one little girl raises her hand and she says, well, then if that's true, what would be the answer? I said, let's suppose that there was one creator overall who designed everything. Wouldn't you see a pattern from that creator if he designed everything? Wouldn't you see his mark in everything? And went all the way through it all. The bell rang and class was dismissed. She asked me to come back the next week. Wow. I went back the next week. First thing she says to me, says, the Latin class is going to join us. Latin class? Come to find out that the teacher of the Latin class, a Roman Catholic priest, of course she would know Latin, who was a theistic evolution. Know what that means? It means you're a cop-out, a wimpy, and a whitewash. <laughs> it's, it's saying that, oh yeah, I believe in God, couldn't have an, but he did it through evolution. He did it the way the Bible says he did it. He did it in the beginning. God created heaven and earth. And there was the first day, and the second day, and the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, and the seventh day, God rested. That's exactly how it happened. And there's a big difference between scientific fact and theory. I have no problem with scientific fact. Matter of fact, scientific fact <laughs> supports the Bible. It's not the facts we dispute. It's the interpretation of those facts and what they mean. But we need to bring God back into our educational institution. I'm going to quickly, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close up. Last Bible verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. See, I'm really out of miss because that clock's not working. So don't blame me. <laughs> Guaranteed to be fixed by tonight. I said, <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 14. Our church, when we were established years ago, was called Faith Baptist Church. We had two statewide radio broadcasts. And... Uh, we called it the trumpet of faith. Faith Baptist Church called it the trumpet of faith. And we got the verse from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 8. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Here's the picture. All right. The trumpet player gets up there and he plays reverently. Oh, time to get up. The sound of the music. Then he plays mess call. All right, time to eat. Line up for mess to, for chow time. Okay, then he he uh, he, he plays uh, assembly and the time to muster and time to assemble together. Then at night he'll play taps. Time to go to sleep. Every trumpet sound had a meaning to it. Now you can imagine. Here's the battle raging. The enemy's coming, and the trumpeter gets up there and he plays mess hall. <laughs> oh, time to eat. <laughs> No, it's time to fight. The enemy's approaching, and he's playing taps. Oh, must be time to just go to bed. Time to sleep. 
So at the trumpet, give an uncertain call, who should prepare himself to the battle? And if churches today are not clear in their message, and churches today and pulpits today remain silent in their message for God, how are we going to know what God wants us to do and to prepare for the battle that we're facing today? That's why we must have straight preachers today. And I thank God for Brother Shot. I know him. I've known him for a long time and, and all. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something. He shoots straight. Now, you might not always like it. Now, folks, he didn't tell me to say anything. I want you to know that. I say something like that, and people say, hmm. Now, he, I'll admit, he called me up a few days ago. He said, uh, he said you're coming? I said, uh, yep. He said, you got the whole ball of wax. You know that, don't you? You got all four services. I said, I got it. He said, okay, bye. And that was it. I don't know nothing about anything, if anything's going on or not. That's, not. that's not my concern. But as I always say in revival, if your phone is ringing, it's not me doing the dialing. But we need straight preaching. Now, you might not always like it. Oh, that's not loving. That's not. Kind. We got to. Uh, we won't get into that. Snowflakes is what they're called. And a lot of Christians, I think, get so easily offended. What was that thing with Starbucks recently? Four or five officers, police officers were in there. It's on the news. It's been all over the news. And some little snowflake was in there and complained. I don't feel comfortable with those policemen here. Oh, maybe you're a drug dealer or something. I don't know. know And they asked the police officers to leave. I feel very comfortable and safe with them around. If something were to happen, those are the guys I want there. Yes, I... And they asked him to leave because somebody was offended. Now, you may be offended over some small thing that's not worth getting offended over. Don't let that happen. The trumpet must give a certain sound. But there's hope for America, and I finish with this. Who is America? Out there, see it out the window? That's, that, that's not America. The rivers, the lakes... The plains, that's not America. You know what America is? You and me. Americans make America. And as we started the service with, this is my country, America. But what I am, America be. Honey, would you come to the piano, please? America must breathe new breath. America is dying and it needs fresh breath upon it. And who can breathe breath into America? Only God's people that have the breath of God within them. I wonder this morning as we bring this special service to a close. Would you be willing to say, as an American? And would you be willing to say, as a Christian, God, help me to breathe life into America through godliness, through righteousness. God, I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know that. But God, help me do my part to let America breathe once more freedom, liberty, and righteousness. And I'm going to ask you all right now to please stand and look up at me. And I'm going to call on you. Many times in the history of our nation, our nation called upon its people.
During World War II, there was a call for young men and women to come to the aid of their country to fight for the freedoms that we have. There was a call and Americans responded and we defeated two enemies, one in Europe and one in Japan because God's people came together. And I really believe if God's people will come together, we could do something for the Lord today. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do what I'm willing to do. To come to this altar in just a moment. Either kneel and not everybody can. Then just sit in the front row. Or stand to the side. But come. Come and to this altar. And say, God, help me to breathe breath into America as a Christian. To so live my life from henceforth. I can't do anything about the past, but I could do something about today. And pray for America. Pray for our president, Congress, Supreme Court, our state government. The breath of God is within you. Will there be somebody that will come to this altar right now and will say, God, help me breathe breath into America? Anyone right now that would just step out and come? God bless you. That's right. That's right. You, this is not just for you and not just for me. But our founding fathers brought breath into this nation. And it is up to us now to breathe new hope and new life into this great nation that God has given to us. God, help us today. That's right, folks. God bless you. God bless you. Lord and God, I, my brothers and sisters are not alone at this altar. I'm here with them. And God, it's my cry. God, it's my plea. Bless America again, God. Please bless America. We've wandered away. Our light has become dim. We're no longer the salt of the earth, but all we want is selfish pleasures for us and what? government can do for us when we ought to use our government for righteousness to reach the world for Jesus. Lord, we're praying right now at this altar. Not just my prayer. Lord, you hear the prayer of everyone bowed before you on our knees. And even as George Washington was on his knees at Valley Forge, and even as Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, on his knees asking for God's guidance, so we also say, God, Bless America. Help us do our part. Breathe righteousness into our nation. And so shall we say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I'm begging. I'm pleading in the name of Jesus for this to be so. Amen and amen. God bless you.